Thank you for listening to our New Life Christian Center podcast. Stay tuned after the sermon for more ways to connect with us. So open with me, if you would, please, to the book of Isaiah chapter 1. Isaiah chapter 1. And we will get started this morning. We started last week talking about soul willingness. The issue that I want you to to kind of leave here with after a few weeks is this understanding that that under your control of choice is your willingness. You're the one that controls your willingness. God is not going to put willingness on you. You get to control that. So through the renewing of the mind and other things that we'll talk about in the weeks to come, you'll get to see how to increase your, your willingness. And we'll talk, hopefully, in great detail about that. So let's pray together. Father, thank you for this time. We just bless you, Lord God. Thank you that your word becomes clear to us through your revelation. Father, we thank you in those areas that we understand. We've been blessed by your revelation. In those areas that we don't understand, we are being blessed by your revelation. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm always astounded by the amount of growth that I see in in just regular folk. Um, you'd think after, you know, X number of years of Christianity and hopefully reading your Bible on a regular basis, you run across stuff that you've never seen in a particular way before. And, and so I, I really do believe that God is, is revealing to us to some degree based on his perception of our need and based on the, the understanding of what we're going through as, as, a, as a world. And, and so what happens is that I believe God gives us preparation for what we need before we need it. I was talking with a pastor recently and, and just came up in me that, that he was talking about consecration and, and, and how that works in his, his life. And, and I just sensed the Lord saying to me, consecration today leads to understanding tomorrow. And when you separate yourself unto God... He will begin to explain things to you based on that separation. When you separate yourself from the world, oftentimes when you, when you separate yourself from something, it feels a little bit like a loss. So if you got born again and you had to separate yourself from your old friends, it feels a little bit like a loss. And what God does is, is begin to give us a level of contentment from that consecration. It's a tomorrow issue. So we separate ourselves that day sometimes in some situations, makes us feel like there's been a loss. You know, a lot of times the, the argument of Christians or of non-Christians is that Christianity takes all the fun out of life. And so when you consecrate yourself, it does look like you're losing some of those things in the world that you thought were fun. But I've never met anyone who had so much fun um, drinking alcohol that they felt good about it the next morning. Right. And so, you know, it's a little bit difficult to think how much fun you're actually losing. But that consecration ends up leading to a sense of contentment in the things that God separates you from. And so that's really the process that we're talking about. And in Isaiah chapter one, look at verse 18. The prophet through God, through the prophet, is saying to the to the people of Israel, he says, come now and let us reason together. One of the most important things that you can do is reason together with the Lord. Literally to have an ongoing contemplation or almost like a math equation that this is what God is saying or this is how God deals with things and this is how I think. And and many of us don't understand the nature of renewing our mind to how God thinks. 
So much of the world uses different things to change how you think. I remember back in the late 70s and early 80s, there was a, 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 a huge turn, at least around the people I was talking to, into certain areas that looked a little crazy to me, like yoga and, and transcendental meditation, and it poisoned all this thought process. So let me just help you with this. You should be meditating on the Word of God. Biblical, spiritual meditation is healthy. Okay? You're not trying to remove things from your mind. As your mind is renewed, you meditate on those things so God can fill the empty spots of your thinking. So much of the time, what gets us in trouble is our thinking. It seemed like a good idea when we did it. Right? Now, you can do that with young people and with teenagers really easy. Like, like what were you thinking? The idea that they were thinking about was that this would be a good idea. It was, people say, well, you just weren't thinking. Oh, no, they were thinking. They thought the whole thing through and thought it would be a good idea. You know, and I mean, it's, it's, it's interesting. So there's going to be a time in all of our lives, probably somewhat consistently, where God asks us to reason with him. And what he's asking us to do is to see this, the, kind of, the kind of intellectual superiority that comes from reasoning with God's truth. When, when you see what God's truth says... It will help you to renew your mind. If you renew your mind, your soul will have a different set of parameters to make decisions with. Does that make sense? So when he says, come let us reason together, says the Lord, though your sins are like scarlet. He doesn't remove the understanding of what sin does for us. But look what he adds. He says, they shall be white as snow. You're all in the process of being whitened, so to speak. Please don't hear that in any other way other than the way I'm trying to offer it here. You know, you're, going to be, you're going to be cleaned up, whitened, by the reasoning that you do with God. There will be certain things in your life that God fixes for you where you take the sin that is like crimson and turn it into the white as snow stuff. And God will deal with us independently and individually. So sometimes it seems like God is being really picky Right? He's asking you to do things and separate yourself from things that other people get away with all the time. And you notice them. You say, well, God, obviously you're not dealing with them about their attitude. You know, and then he'll come and just, just kind of pound away on your attitude. So anyway, when he says reason together, he says, your sins are like scarlet. They shall be white as snow. They are red like crimson. They shall be as wool if. Now notice the word if there. He, he's, he's beginning to show us this conditional response. Almost every time you see the word if in the Bible, it's getting ready to present you with something that is conditional. And when things are conditional, you have to be willing to operate in the conditions. If there's an if, you have to be willing to operate in the conditions. If you are willing and obedient. See, much of what Christianity teaches and much of what the church does is basically judge people for right and wrong, kick people out of the fellowship, so to speak, because of their perception of right and wrong. But none of us have right and wrong completely figured out. As much as we think we do, we don't. So somebody who's wrong 
You notice their wrongness, but you criticize them in an unloving way. How is it that the person who is criticizing in an, un, in an unlovely way is any better than the person doing the thing that's wrong? See, if, if, if being right through being wrong to people is important... Like, you know, if, if, I go, if I go pick on Miss Mary over here and say, well, you know, and figure out whatever it is she does wrong. I don't know what that is, you know, but you just, just start pounding away and being critical and judgmental to the place that it damages her. Is my being right without love any better than her being wrong with it? Right? And so it's very difficult for us to understand this process of willingness when we're stuck in the right and wrong trap. If you can get this by studying the kings of Israel. First of all, God didn't want Israel to have kings. And they said, give us kings. Everybody else got kings. Give us kings. If you go study those guys, about 75% of them were complete knuckleheads. But some of the knuckleheads, because their heart was right, were blessed by God. Some of them whose heart wasn't right, but they did everything in obedience, were still not blessed by God. Go read those guys. It's fascinating how that... that the, the ones who, who kind of didn't handle it right, some of them got blessed by God. And you say, what's the deal here? And I personally believe that there is so much influence about willingness that he, if we're willingness to follow him, if we're willing to follow him, he will get us where we need to go. But if our willingness is governed by right and wrong, it's a huge problem in the church today. It's actually the reason that churches build buildings. Do you, do you understand that? They build a building to whatever they believe their rightness is. They separate. And, and you say, well, is that bad? Not always. But how many of you recognize that over the course of 150 years, some of those buildings have lost the reason they existed? Right? They, they no longer have the, the power and authority of God's word as a governance for their reason of existing. There are churches today who are doing things and, and governing in ways that are not aligned with God's word. I talked with a pastor recently and, and they, were, they were leaving their denomination, not a Methodist, okay, just because that's the one you hear about all the time. It's another very traditional, very uh, uh, holiness-based church, but they had changed one or two words in their doctrinal stance towards Jesus. Now, I don't know whether you recognize this or not, but hardly any of you in here have ever paid any attention to the doctrinal stand of the place that you go to church. You've probably never read the bylaws. I've never read the bylaws of this church. You say, why not? Because they don't make any difference. You say, well, yes, they do. Okay. If we govern by law, what we're going to get is a law-based enforcement of grace. When we govern by grace, we can find truth. Not right and wrong. So anyway, it's just happening all the time. So notice again in verse number 19, if you're willing and obedient, you shall eat the good of the land. The, the purpose of me teaching this is to help you or try and help you to understand that if you believe that God is in charge. Now, I'm saying he's forcing everything to happen, but rather is in charge, then everything that he pours out, according to James, is good and perfect. Everything he pours out. 
And you tie that, and just, just pick your subject, tie that to the scriptural evidences of whatever your subject is. Okay? If you tie that to that influence, what you'll find is that what God is doing, whether you agree with it or not, or even like it, has something to do with him pouring out good and perfect gifts on his creation. I hope you get this, because if not, you might get more than a little frustrated with what you believe God should be doing. Amen or not? I mean, how many of you think God should be doing other things than what you've seen him or what? Forget whether you think he did it or had any influence. How many of you think God needs to change things? How many of you think that's any different than it's ever been for 2,000 years? It's not any different. So if, <laughs> if God isn't changing wholesale to agree with us, can you understand what the problem is? We are not agreeing with him. If he's not changing to agree with us, if he's not taking influences or interventions to make people more like us, it could be that the problem is we expect God to change so we don't have to. <laughs> it's kind of ugly, isn't it? Do you understand that comes from willingness? Obviously, all of us have a shopping list of understanding for God to operate through. We pray that way. Oh, God, do that. If you haven't prayed for your kids in a way that you recognize was manipulative, you haven't asked God enough questions. Because I'm telling you, you don't get to choose for them young people whose skulls are full of mush. You don't. They're going to choose. You say, well, what are we going to do about that, Pastor? Well, you can pray in manipulation. Oh, God, please change my child. You don't necessarily know what God is doing in your child's life, even when they're missing it by a country mile. Right? You just don't know. And so then we spend time over here praying, asking God to change them, and if you look real closely, what you might find is their ability to see God's reflection in themselves is just tainted by the look in the mirror. Remember the Bible says in James chapter 1, he who looks into the perfect law of righteousness, he'll be blessed. In all. If you don't see righteousness looking back at you, it's going to be difficult for you to process what your life looks like. Because you don't see the righteousness of God looking back at you. Did you know that was in the Bible? This is James chapter 1. Notice about the 20-something verse. Twenty-two and following, I'll just read a little bit of it to you. It says, but be doers of the word, not hearers only, deceiving yourself. Notice that most deception is self-imposed. Most deception is self-imposed. The devil is not deceiving you because he doesn't want to get in your way of deceiving yourself. And yet we want to cast the devil out all the time when in reality the deception that we operate under is kind of serious. 
For if anyone is a hearer of the word, not a doer, he's like a man observing a natural face in a mirror. For he observes himself, goes away, and immediately forgets. Now notice this language. What kind of man he was. See, he's asking you to look into the mirror of biblical reflection and determine what God made you as a man. I don't mean man as a, as a sexual thing. I mean it as a species, okay? And said, verse 25, he who looks in the perfect law of liberty as a mirror, understood in there, and what? Continues in it. Is not the forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work. This one will be blessed in what he does. See, sometimes what happens when our children don't, don't figure out what they're supposed to be doing, it's because when they look into the mirror, all they see is the, is the magnification of the mistakes that everybody says they're making. I am a personal uh, disliker of parent-teacher conferences. Because unless your child fits the mold of the teacher in some cases, what you hear is not what you want to hear. You can hear that Johnny is disruptive. Do you know that sometimes disruptive children turn out to be really good preachers? Because inside of their call is the disruption that God wants to have through them as a leader to challenge people's lives. Can you say amen? Right? And you say, well, pastor, are you preaching that from experience? Yes. You know, sometimes when little kids are like OCD with their pencils, they become really organized and can lead and manage things in a greater scope than other people. That comes in really handy. You say, well, yeah, but it's really hard when you have a meltdown because your pencil isn't sharp. Yeah, you're going to have to learn how to discipline yourself over that. I used to never leave school without sharpening all my pencils. Parent teacher, Mrs. Quiggle, my third grade teacher. Sitting there, parent teacher conference, you know, they put you in the desk and they squeeze your, you know, oversized, overweight parents into one of them little desks. We're all sitting there like this and, and. She's wanting to understand why Glenn has to sharpen all his pencils. I don't know why I had to sharpen all. It just made sense to me. My brother, on the other hand, was, was, was left-handed. Back in the early 60s, left-handed people got whacked with a ruler until they wrote with their right hand. My brother plays sports left-handed, golfs left-handed, and writes really poorly with his right hand. Because he's left-handed. We change the nature of what God makes us by looking into someone else's mirror rather than the mirror of righteousness of God's Word. Is that making sense to you? If you're willing, when you're dealing with your children, if you're willing to look into God's Word rather than your desire for them, you might see something that changes how you help them find their way in life. Ta-da! Okay, so if you're willing and obedient, let me show you a couple biblical examples. Turn with me, if you will, please, to the book of, of Numbers, chapter 13. Numbers, chapter 13. Look at verse number one. Then Moses, did everybody find it? And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, send men to spy out the land. Numbers 13 and 1. Sorry, Jeremy, I may not have said that clearly. 
And the Lord spoke to Moses saying, send men to spot the land of Canaan, which I'm giving to the children of Israel. If you're willing to participate, you already know the end result. Do you see it in one verse? He's giving you the land. This should be the governing position of all of the children of Israel. He says to Moses, send them out to the land I'm giving them. See, the, the initial structural understanding is that God is giving these people a land that's already been defined by God. Notice if you would down in verse number 27, you can read the rest of the story. He sends out 12. By the way, Moses does this twice. First time he sends out 12 and they come back 10 to 2 against. The next time it happens, you want to know how many he sends out? Two. Because it was easier to get two people to agree, evidently. They even, even Moses learned how to do these things through his leadership things. Let's keep reading. Notice in verse 27. Then they told him, he said, we went to the land where you sent you, where you sent us. It truly flows with milk and honey. Now notice they bring back the exact description of what God promised them about the promised land. Milk and honey, it's fruitful. Nevertheless, there's always a nevertheless. And when there's a nevertheless, you're going to enter into the if, the conditional part of what God has. If your nevertheless is about your circumstances, right, what you see, how you operate, you're actually dealing with your willingness. I remember in my coaching days, there were several really good teams around our area that were much bigger than us, um, school-wise. And so I solicited the athletic director, and I said, I don't want to play these teams anymore. And I listed all the teams that we killed. I mean, you know what? If you're in a little area and, and you've got a decent program, and you go to some place and you beat them by 40 points, the only people that think that's a good idea are the parents. Oh, we won. Let me just tell you something. If you want to play at a statewide level, you need to play people that are better than you. Because the end result of what you believe you're supposed to do, right, is to get these, these, these kids to play together as a team, not because they're going to be professional athletes. I coach some really good athletes. And I've had two try out for professional stuff. But I've got more than I can count kids who are dedicated Christians serving the Lord today in their chosen occupations that I still hear from. Because I told them, this is not about basketball. This is about character and life. We can win. I know we can win. But anyway, so I asked to play bigger, better teams. So we would go to North Platte, a little town of Imperial, 2,000 people. So we would go to North Platte. We would go to... to, to um, um, Ogallala had a good team. McCook had a good team. They were perennial teams in the, in the uh, state tournament every year. Really good. So anyway, when I finally got to be able to play McCook, it was in their best year. And I had taught our kids all along to never doubt what you believe that you can do. Okay? See, and I tried to be real careful. Never doubt what you believe you can do. Because that'll get rid of your nevertheless. Are you tracking with me? 
See, if you say nevertheless, they're all bigger. I remember in one of my son's teams, they were a really good little team, got little athletes. And so I entered them into a tournament of kids that were two years older than them because they hadn't been beaten. They played 40-some games in their little kids program at like sixth or eighth grade, whatever it was. And so I thought, well, I'm going to fix this. So I just entered them up two years. So we're warming up, and they're looking at the other team, which is head and shoulders taller than them. And they came over to, to, to the, to the uh, huddle, and one of them leans forward and says, Coach, they've got hair under their arms. <laughs> Ta-da! There's their nevertheless. These people are bigger, more mature, stronger, and they got hair under their arms, which for a, you know, a, a sixth-grade boy is a pretty big deal, you know? The point is, you've got to believe what you think God has said to you. Now, I know that basketball doesn't work for this, but these people didn't believe what God said. When their nevertheless came up, it affected their willingness. See, you'll run into things in your life that are bigger than your abilities. You'll hear things that don't line up with what you want to hear. And if your first response is the wrong nevertheless, you'll find out what lives in your heart. Because you'll choose death over life. Because you can't deal with the if. He says, nevertheless, in verse 28, the people who dwell are strong. I love this passage because it completely goes against what they just experienced. This is their imagination. The people are strong. How do you know that the people are strong? How do you know that? Were you watching them lift stuff that you couldn't lift? Because in a little bit they say, this is the land that devours its inhabitants. I'm assuming they're hiding their way through their exploration. They didn't know this. They imagined this. All because of the 33rd verse. Just, just, tip, just, just turn over there. There we saw the giants, the descendants of Enoch, come from the... And we were like grasshoppers in our own sight. What was the problem? How they saw themselves. If you're willing to see yourself the way God sees you, you will not stop yourself from doing what God says you can do. If you are willing... This is soul willingness. If you are willing and obedient, you'll eat of the good of the land. Now, in the middle of all this, Joshua and Caleb, the two guys that said, let's go, we can do it. In fact, that's in verse, that's in verse 30. It says, Caleb quieted the people and said, let us go up at once and take possession, for we are well able to overcome it. He was speaking from a living reality on the inside of himself. Ten of the guys said, no way, these guys are going to kill us. And Caleb said, let's go. We are certainly able to do it. Do you see the difference in the willingness to trust what God said? If you are willing and obedient, without the willingness, your obedience is going to get shanghai a little bit. He says, we're well able. Now, they refuse Children of Israel refused to go in because 10 guys is better than two guys. And so they, they believe the 10 guys. And I want you to notice something in chapter 14. 
It says all, all the congregation lifted up their voices and cried and they wept that night. Why did they weep? They believed the 10 guys who were not telling the report that God told them they would see. He said, when you go, you're going into a land that flows with milk and honey. They saw that. It's going to be clear, full of stuff. They brought back, you know, uh, 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 gatherings of grapes that took two men to carry. I'm just telling you right now, what they saw matched what God said they would see right up until they saw themselves. And they were grasshoppers in their own sight. Look what it says. All the children of Israel complained against Moses and Aaron and the whole congregation. This is that time where God says, hey, let's start over. These people don't get it. <laughs> I love this. Why has the Lord, verse 3, brought us to this land to fall by the sword? That our wives and children should become victim. Do you know where they left? They left... Egypt from slavery. It's got to be pretty bad in your mind to want to go back there because they have garlic and turnips. I would not walk across the street for a turnip. I'm unwilling. I don't, I, I've cooked a lot. I don't have a single recipe that calls for turnips. Who decided it was a good idea to eat the first one? So they said in verse 4, let us select a leader and return to Egypt. Do you understand that when your sight is turned away from what God wants for you, you will choose things to go back to what you consider safe. What you consider safe. Which is not safe at all. Verse number 6, but Joshua the son of Nun and Caleb the son of Jehunah, or whatever that guy's name is, who were among those who spied out the land, tore their clothes and they spoke to all the congregation of the children. The land we passed through to spy out is exceedingly what? Good. If you're willing and obedient, you'll eat the good of the land. Look what he says. If the Lord delights in us, notice the if. How does the Lord delight? By your obedience? No, because he says, um, um, remember when Saul got kicked off the, the kingdom list or off the king list? He didn't, he didn't sacrifice all the spoil. And, and he, he, he came back and he says, and, and who was the prophet? Samuel said to him, he said, what is this I hear in my ears? And he said, oh, the people kept all that stuff. He blamed the people for his leadership. The first person that keeps a sheep as the leader, you go over there and slap them about the head and shoulders a little bit and say, no, we're going to kill that right now. Because that's what God said. See, because there's an if. There's an if. He says, if the Lord delights in us, then he will bring us into land and give it to us. And land which flows in milk and only do not rebel. Notice the opposite of willingness is rebellion. See, most people believe the opposite of obedience is rebellion. The opposite of obedience is sin. Rebellion leads you to sin. Rebellion is the opposite of willingness. I knew that would go over big. He says, do not rebel against the Lord, nor fear the people of the land. They feared the people of the land, not because of the people of the land, because of, but because of their sight of themselves. Notice, he says, for they are our what? Bread. 
Notice that I could, I could show you a dozen of these where, where somebody gets the picture that the good of the land is going to feed us. He says, these people are our bread. For they are bread, their protection has departed from them. Their protection has, do you see it? Their protection has departed from them. Why? Because the Lord is with us. If you see things God's way, the protection that, that, that kind of guards the, the world's goodies and that kind of stuff is gone from them because of your association with God. You understand that the very things that most of you guys want could be accomplished if Christians could get their minds around just following God all the time rather than following personal desires? Amen. Look at verse 10. And the congregation said to stone them with stones. Isn't that interesting? Maybe a million or two people decided to kill the two people that wanted to follow God. If you're willing, you're likely going to stir up a little bit of opposition within your own folks. Just remember back when you got a little bit too dedicated to the things of the Lord. Was there somebody in your family that came and said, now I had somebody in my family come to me and say, now you know, you don't want to be too heavenly minded to be any, to, to, so you won't be, so you'll be no earthly good. Are you kidding me? You can be too heavenly minded? I mean, is that like an option? If you think like God, do you really think that's going to hurt you? That's what I was told. If you think like God, it'll hurt you. First of all, I've never known anybody, and I wasn't a Christian very long when this happened to me, but I've never known anybody that served God and didn't enjoy their time together with God. You say, well, I don't enjoy it. That's because you're in rebellion. (laughs) If you're willing, come on. If you're willing to follow God, what difference does it make where he leads you? Well, I don't want to go there. Well, I didn't want to go there either. I mean, Tracy and I, 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 we always tease people when, when, or tease, I always tease her when we're talking with people, they find out, you know, kind of what we've done in life and ministry and that kind of stuff. And, 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 and I always call our mission trips vacations when we slept in the jungle and got eaten by bugs and wondered if the food that they were serving us was actually edible and wouldn't kill us. I didn't want to do that. I, I, and honestly, I didn't. I, I am like a, a Marriott hotel guy. Okay? I stay in hotels by the thickness of their towels. Right? Come on. You guys say, well, I'll just sleep anywhere. Well, you haven't slept in enough places yet to not be a little bit more discriminating than sleeping anywhere. I slept on a five-foot-long mattress two and a half inches above a dirt, or above a, 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 a wood-paneled floor that was, that was six feet off the ground and had big old gaps in it. And when I put, a, like, a Band-Aid wrapper over by the side, some bug picked it up and carried it off while I watched. When it got dark, it sounded like the movies with growlings and, you know, everything, you know, gollies. 
Everything that was there can kill you. I guess I'll stay in. I don't speak the language. And our missionaries left us there and went and slept on the boat. Thought we needed a full immersion into that. I didn't want to do that. But if you're willing and obedient. See, I was obedient, but I had to learn my willingness. I had to learn the willingness. Are you tracking with me? So what is willing? Willing is positively inclined to respond to authority. Positively inclined to respond to authority. You know that I'm willing for you to give me something? Right? I mean, really, Tracy and I are probably lined up today. And if you want to take us to lunch, we're probably willing to go. But that's not that kind of willingness. That's actually greed. Right? Willingness is in response to authority. You know, I use the speed limit as an example a lot because the speed limit has no power. I mean, the sign doesn't mean anything. If it says 65, what it really means is 69. Even though it doesn't see, it doesn't say that, right? But what's the willingness about? The willingness is in response to authority. Not in, to, in response to our desires. And, and you can just go through life that way. Going, well, that isn't, what, that isn't what God meant. Throughout the Bible, when it talks about tithing, the word means to gather together a tenth for the purpose of obedience. How many of you know you've got to be willing to take that tenth out? Because God is not judging what the hand gives. He's judging what the heart gives. And to turn loose on God's willingness... Your heart willingness has to align. You can give yourself into poverty without willingness. I'm going to give the money talk today in church. I'll probably spend at least one time in a period I preached for six months on money. In a row, every Sunday for six months. You say, why did you do that? Come out Because I was willing. I didn't want to do that. I had to hear God's plan. And you know what? The people of the church, after about a month of that, they started looking at me funny. You know, with that look on their face, like, you keep preaching this way and we'll get our own rocks. We'll stone you. It took over three months to break the unwillingness of that church. Oh, and by the way, when that happened, the church changed in a monumental way. Why? Because they became willing and they ate of the good of the land. I think that's how God does that. Amen. All right. So, so again, we're talking about soul willingness. That soul is the invisible part, right, of man. The spirit is invisible. The soul is invisible. The flesh is visible. We want to be governed by the cooperation of our two invisible parts. Your soul can agree with your flesh. You can desire things from your soul, will, intellect, emotion. You can desire things from your soul that will not be good for you. And you can walk in. Your soul can align itself with your flesh. Are, are we together? Because, you see, if you don't get this, then you won't realize that when your willingness is in question, you're actually aligning yourself with your flesh. 
Jesus took his disciples up into the Garden of Gethsemane to pray and he found them sleeping. He said, are you not willing? The spirit indeed is willing. The flesh is weak, literally having no spiritual power to cooperate. What did he leave out? He left out the soul. So the soul got frustrated after Jesus was gone for an hour and decided to agree with the flesh that was tired and took a nap rather than staying connected. It takes willingness to do that. And listen, willingness is within your power to choose. But God is not ever going to force you into willingness. I personally believe that we're heading into a time in 2024 where willingness is going to be the, the number one important aspect of your growth. Because see, if you see things and, and, and process things without God, you'll be unwilling to cooperate with what he wants to do. Because you see it as being too dangerous, too difficult, too, too doesn't make any sense to me. Why doesn't God do something about this? And what it'll produce in you is an agreement with your flesh and you'll become a whiner and a complainer. Amen. Just don't touch that one so hard. Matthew, please, chapter 13. This may be one of those times of teaching in adult Sunday school where I'm just going to stay on this and go as slow as I think God wants me to and show you these passages, try and teach on these passages to get you to see these things because that, it's that important for maturing believers to understand. If what God has revealed to me is true and willingness becomes an extraordinarily important aspect to finding and following the will of God in difficult times, this will help you. If not, if I'm wrong, it still won't hurt you to examine your willingness. But if I'm right and you do this, you'll be prepared to cooperate with God in times where it probably doesn't make a lot of sense. Notice, if you would, please, Matthew chapter 13, verse 11 and following. He said, he answered and said to them, because it had been given to you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven. See, his disciples said, why do you teach these religious people in parables? And he's going to explain that to them. Momentarily, those of us who are born again have been given by the indwelling Holy Spirit the ability to understand the mysteries of the kingdom of God. And by the way, there are mysteries in the kingdom of God. Why this thing and not this thing? There are mysteries. Secret things being revealed. Verse 13 says, Therefore I speak to them in parables because seeing they do not see. Hearing, they do not hear, nor do they understand. Nor do they understand. Now notice what's left out of this. He didn't say necessarily that they were being disobedient. He said they weren't seeing right, they weren't hearing right, and it led to a lack of understanding. In them the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled, which says, Hearing, you will hear, and you shall not understand. Seeing you will see and not perceive. For the hearts of these people have grown, underline that in your Bible, have grown dull. King James says the heart of this people has waxed gross. I love that. Waxed gross. How many of you remember those little wax pop bottles, candies? 
that had the liquid in them? Man, I love those. But you could not brush your teeth enough to get rid of that wax. It was on there for days. Right? Your teeth were waxed gross. Why? Why? But no, really, why were they waxed gross? Because you dedicated yourself to learning about the good taste that was inside the wax. You were willing to deal with the wax to get at the sweet stuff that was inside. I was willing to deal with the wax. Maybe some of you weren't. I'll try and find your thing that you've learned to put up with to get at the good thing that's inside of that. See, some people use coping mechanisms to feel good about themselves. Some people believe they can fly after two Coors Lights. Coping mechanisms make you feel better about yourself. For hearts of these people have grown dull. Their ears are hard of hearing. Now listen to me. Spiritual sight, hearing, and understanding are senses that need to be sharpened not developed. You have them already. The, the Spirit of God is looking out your eyeballs to help you discern and, 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 and judge the circumstances you're in and make good decisions. You need to sharpen that relationship with spiritual sight, not develop it. Well, people come to me all the time and they say, well, I just don't hear God's voice. How'd you get saved? Bible says no one comes to Father unless Jesus draws him. Well, unless he grabbed you around your skinny little neck, he probably spoke to you. And you probably heard. You probably moved towards a voice that you couldn't get out of your head. Because you heard. See, it's not that you can't hear or see. It needs to be sharpened. You need that sword of the spirit kind of stuff that, that separates thoughts and intents of the heart. That'll create a greater level of willingness. And we'll pick it up right here. And we won't pick it up right here. Let me. Willingness cannot be compelled. I cannot force you to be willing. That's slavery. I cannot force you to be willing. Are you tracking with me? So that's where we're going to go in the weeks to come. Amen? Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this time. Thank you for teaching us. Thank you for showing us things in your word, Father. We're just so grateful. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Thank you for listening. To subscribe to our podcast, search New Life Eckley in all of the major podcasting apps. Audio and video of our sermons are posted at newlifeeckley.com slash live. And you can watch Sermon Slices weekdays on social media. Search at New Life Eckley. Our main service is at 10 a.m. Mountain Time every Sunday. Thanks for listening.